It is locked on NBA, NBA Draft Edition. Finally, we're three weeks away. We're going to cover the NBA draft. I'm David Locke. I'll be talking to Jeremy Wu of SI.com. Plus, we have major news coming up on NBA draft coverage for you. We will do our five-day extended mock draft with all of our expert hosts on the local story with a local point of view coming up in the week before the draft and hopefully more for you coming as well. So if you're an NBA draft guy, Locked on NBA is your spot, and we'll keep following up with more and more news for you on how you can get the best draft coverage all across the Locked On Podcast Network as well as right here on Locked On NBA. Jeremy Wu, Sports Illustrated, SI's got some of the best writers around. Make sure you keep reading it. It's coming up right now on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Well, Jeremy, thanks so much. Our first of our NBA draft installments, Locked On Podcast Network. We'll have huge things coming up for you on mock draft for the draft and all those things that I thought were the NBA Finals starting. 28 other teams are interested in the draft at this point. Uh, how do you characterize this draft? Do you feel like it's now we know who's in and who's out? What's your overall feeling, Jeremy, on this draft? You know, I feel good about you know, at least the top group of players, um, you know, I mean, we have, I think Aiton is going to be, uh, you know, a very good player, you know, Doncic is a special player. And then you have the next group. And then, you know, from there, you know, the first round sort of levels off, but I think to, to me, I think it's fairly deep. Like I think that there will be value to be had, you know, 20 through 40. I think after that, it probably tails off a little bit, but uh, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting players in this draft. And, you know, I think the more you dig into it, like the more compelling it gets. And- Elaborate on that. What is it that gets more compelling? You know, it, just like, uh, you know, you get on to some of these guys, uh, like, for example, like Zaire Smith is an interesting case where he's a guy who, like, wasn't even on the radar, and then he shows up and sort of plays his way in the first-round consideration. So you have guys like that who are just total, like like him or uh, Mitchell Robinson, who obviously didn't play college basketball. You have guys who are total wild cards, who teams are sort of still trying to figure out, uh, you know, and then you have the Grayson Allens who are, like, you know, extremely established. And these guys are all sort of falling into a similar, like, you know, 20 to 35 range. So it's like, how do you, you know, figure out what's what and how are teams going to evaluate, you know, what they need? So, you know, I really think it's not as much of a talent gap situation when you get into the middle of the draft, but it's really going to be based more on, you know, team fit. Like, I, I think teams are going to have to really sort of prioritize because it's not necessarily, you know, once you get into that middle, it's like a lot of good players. But it's not necessarily like one guy is, you know, like uh, a whole a whole head above another, for example. Are there any trends, if we look back at the last two or three drafts, and we try to analyze what's going on where we feel as though, you know, hey, we're, we're learning this. I mean, one thought I had for a while, I, I'm a big believer in the age game. I, I really, the Wesley Johnsons and the... Uh, I mean, there's a list. We could list 30 of them. But the guys who have their success at 21, 22, and then move into the top 10 of the draft, frankly, Epe Udo, who's now on the Jazz, traditionally those guys are the ones that don't make it. But I'm beginning to wonder if 20 to 35, the Malcolm Brogdon phenomena of the world, where they have played four years, they're clearly ready. Is there something going on there where the older players are better picks as you move lower? Any thoughts on trends that are going on in the draft over the last few years? Yeah, you know, that's kind of the the sweet spot, right? I mean, it, it's just, it's funny because, you know, what teams tend to value in the first round, obviously where you're offering a guaranteed contract, you're locking your kid in, you know, for extended period of time. It's like, 
you know, different teams are different things, but you tend to see the higher upside guys, you know, going in that range, you know, whether or not that's warranted is a different question sometimes. And it's like, you know, sometimes it up and out at all. Uh, but that's what oftentimes where you see, you know, the calculated risk where you have the guy priced in. Um, but yeah, I mean, inevitably that you tend to see these guys, you know, the Malcolm Brogdon's, uh, you know, Josh Hart, well, Josh Hart was 30, but you see, you see these guys who are, you know, established players, good players, um, just fall into a range, uh, where they end up, you know, being steals. So as far as trends, I mean, you know, it's kind of early to call and I think every draft is different. Um, but I think you're definitely seeing some more emphasis on, you know, obviously with the up-tempo NBA, you know, the traditional center, uh, you know, it's sort of, you know, faded to the background, like a guy like a Brandon McCoy, uh, from UNLV, you know, is probably would have been a first round pick 10 years ago and is now, you know, sort of in the second round mix. Uh, and on that note, it's interesting because we have all these big guys at the top of the draft. Um, but you know, with DeAndre and Jaron Jackson, uh, Marvin Bagley, Mo Bamba, even Wendell Carter. I mean, these are guys who are, you know, mobile and skilled, you know, none of those guys are the, the plotting back to the basket big. Right. Um, so it's sort of, this draft is sort of an interesting juncture in terms of value where, you know, it's partially because there's not as many great guards. Um, but you'll see, you know, teams still really do value, you know, developing a big guy into something. It's interesting to me, if you look at draft history, and I, I haven't run my numbers for this year, or updated them, but over about the last decade, traditionally, after the 11th pick of the draft in the first round, you've got about a 50-50 chance if you're getting a rotation player. And yet, it's so interesting right, to right. me how much mm-hmm. teams drafting 15 and 18, and Donovan Mitchell's only going to make this worse for everybody, are still trying to play the upside game. I wonder if there's a point in the draft where, as a GM, you should stop trying to take the upside game and realize that Nick Collison, who retires this year, is like one of the greatest, what was he, 12th or 14th? Like, he's one of the great 12th or 14th picks of all time. <laughs> right. And Right. And, again, I totally. You know, it goes to, you know, each situation, you know, it's like some teams, you know, want that thought area and some teams are like well we're already young you know let's get younger right Collison's is definitely a crazy case though when you think about it i mean you just if you get a 12th pick who plays is a rotation player for 10 years you should win gm of the year <laughs> right and now everybody's gonna want donovan mitchell with that pick yeah you know that the whole like this is something this is funny because you know i've done a lot of there are different interviews in the last month or so and a lot of people are asking you know who is the next donovan mitchell but like I'm not convinced there is one. You know, I think he is uh, really a special case when you think about it. And, and you know, again, that comes back to perfect situation, you know, an outlier situation, outlier player, you know, outlier person sort of all aligning. Right. So like, I think that's, that's one misconception with the draft too, is it's like, you know, who is the next X, Y, Z. It's like, well, that only happened not just because the player was good, but because of other factors that enable that player to really, you know, be great right away. Right. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind. Right. If I go to SI.com right now, there's a picture of Kevin Durant and LeBron James, right, with a trophy in front, in between <laughs> them. Like, you know, like that's Sam Hinkie's putting that poster on his wall. Like that's that was Sam Hinkie's point, <laughs> right? Right. So the, right, yeah, yeah, the uh, it is the same guys every year, right? It's the stars. How many guys in this draft do you think are special? It's, I mean, it's usually one or two, right? There's usually one or two All-NBA yeah. players. Like, do you think it's more than that this mm-hmm. year? It's a tough question. I mean, I'm sold, I'm sold on Aiton, you know, his talent level. Um, you know, I think he will become an extremely, extremely good center for someone. Like, I think, 
I think it's reasonable to think, you know, if you look at sort of the career DeMarcus Cousins is having, you know, Aiden could do something similar to that. But DeAndre is more athletic than DeMarcus. Um, he's not as skilled, but it's not a, you know, perfect comparison. But, but in terms of like production, like I think that he can do that, um, you know, as provided, you know, wherever he goes, they stay on him to keep improving. Um, because I think he really responded to the coach in Arizona. So I'm on board with him. I think Doncic will be very, very good. I don't know if he'll be able to sort of, you know, how he'll conflate with the hype that he's been getting. Um, and I think he sort of needs to go to the right situation. Uh, but I think Doncic, you know, has a, a very good chance of, you know, and the, the comparison I've been making with him uh, just situationally is Lonzo Ball last year with LA where, you know, he was drafted because they think he can be a tone setter where you come in and he's the guy who sort of, you know, is moving the ball you know, everybody feeds off that, sort of creates that ball movement. So even though he may not be a guy who scores 20 a game for you, you know, he provides so many other things when you're trying to rebuild and build around a player that that's appealing. So I think Doncic has a chance to do that. Uh, I mean, the next group of guys, I mean, I don't know if I'm 100% sold on, you know, the Jaron Jackson, Marvin Bagley, Mo Bamba tier. I think all of those guys have potential to be all-stars, but as far as like special, I don't know if I'm ready to, you know, heap that on them. And then Michael Porter is a total wild card with his back injury, but he's a guy who, you know, coming up was very touted in high school. I I don't know if I see it, but he's a guy who I think people will talk about in terms of upside as well. What don't you see? Well, with Porter, it was always, and even before the injury, I think there were some concerns just about you know, the nature of his game is very shoot first, and obviously he's a good scorer. But you know, a lot of the times the guys who were able to really carry a team in the NBA end up adding to their game. It's like you know you have a playmaking element, or you know you're really rebounding, or you're playing defense. And it's like these are guys like Kevin Durant. You know, is an interesting example. He's a guy who really did add to his game as a pro, right? Uh, you know, rebounding defense. And but with Porter, it's just he hasn't really shown a lot of signs of those things yet. And he's not Durant. You know, that's a very special case with, with Durant. So when you couple that with the injury, it's like you kind of hedge. It's like, yeah, you know, how high would I really take this guy? SI.com. It's the hidden gem. There's a, another four-letter word and some other things that get a lot of attention. But between Jeremy's draft coverage, Rob Mahoney's incredible deep-thinking work, Ben Golliver's uh, great work. I even give Andrew Sharp and his bizarre opinions. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, of the game. <laughs> Um, uh, actually, I give Andrew Sharp credit because I think that the biggest flaw we have in NBA media right now is group thinking. I'm not sure he fits, so I think that's great, actually. Uh, so check it all out at SI.com uh, as we continue to talk here uh, with Jeremy. The yeah, We appreciate that. <laughs> with with Dunkett, Don, I have not gotten it down yet. Don, give it to me again. How, how do we pronounce it correctly? I, I think it's Doncic. I think. <laughs> All right. So with Doncic and, and Doncic will probably, you know, he'll read, will change. The Americans will butcher the pronunciation badly enough that he'll finally, after he has a good year, announce, hey, actually, this is how it's said. Um, I'm finding myself having now. Let me understand. Say two things. I go to. I went to coffee every morning on the road with Igor Kakashkov, so I've heard a good deal about this kid and how good he is. Um, and when we talked about the summer experience. I find myself in a weird position here, Jeremy, that when Shabazz Napier and Trey Burke and these guys go and have NCAA runs, everyone gets excited about them like it's irrelevant. 
But somehow I find winning Eurobasket and winning the EuroLeague title really relevant to me on him. Is that because I don't know enough about those leagues? Or is there something to be said about this kid at 19 years old has led the last two teams he's on to titles? Oh, I think that's a big, big factor. And it's like, it's one thing that's always sort of hard to put a, you know, a tangible, uh, you know, number or quantify, but you know, a lot of players do go places and they win a lot. And I think he definitely has that in his corner. And it's also just the age that he's been able to do it at. I mean, um, you know, Real Madrid is one of the, you know, three best teams in the world consistently that's not in the NBA. And, you know, in in Europe, and you know Madrid's coach uh, is I think special in the sense that he's willing to consistently develop his younger players. Like you've seen, you know he sort of brought in guys differently. But traditionally in Europe, I mean teenagers don't play. Uh, so when you look at that and you look at who he's playing against uh, in the Euro League and the ACB, which are you know two of the I mean Euro League is you know like the Champions League of of, uh, of Europe and you know Spain's league is very very good. So you know seeing him do that, seeing him having already done it for a couple of years and improve. Uh, I think has to has to say something, right? Is you mentioned the comp to Lonzo Ball? Does he have a shooting flaw? Is I mean, which I think Lonzo Ball does. So I guess I revealed that. But uh, is there anything <laughs> in his game that, um, like I wasn't sold on Lon, and I'm still not entirely. I think I might be wrong on this one, but like I couldn't get over watching Lonzo Ball on film last year, and then uh, I. I, I didn't love Lonzo Ball. I thought Kobe Simmons actually beat him up pretty good in an Arizona-UCLA matchup. I thought De'Aaron Fox got into him. I, there were things I really didn't like about Lonzo Ball. Are there things to not like about Luka? Yeah, honestly, like you know, I was with you. I was also a little bit of a Lonzo skeptic. Um, but, uh, you know, what, what I'm likening is sort of the disability to sort of come in and, you know, help turn a team around just with the nature of his play. And so I think, I think he makes sure that sort of pass-first, unselfish playmaking game. Uh, I mean, Doncic definitely comes with some of his awards. I think if you watch, you know, some of his tape, you know, scoring isolation isn't really his his greatest skill. You know, he has size going for him, and he knows how to sort of use his body to create angles. But you know, if you see a NBA athlete or even a you know athletic European, you know, American guy overseas, maybe you know, get into him a little bit, it's harder for him to sort of trade off the dribble and get where he needs to go. And that's something you can learn. Um, and I think. You also have to factor how much mileage is on his legs. I mean, he's played a lot of games the last couple of years. I think you give him a little bit of time off, um, you know, let him get, you know, into sh- shape away from the court and kind of come back and you know approach the season differently. I think you know, that's something that can change too. You know, I don't think he's unathletic. Some people have labeled him as unathletic, and that's just to me that's lazy, uh, especially with European kids because they get that a lot. Um, but he is not a great A athlete, like you know, a guy who's going to have a forty-inch vertical or whatever, and. He doesn't need to be with the way that he plays. Um, but I think that's what you're going to see nitpicked a lot. Uh, I think defensively he'll be okay. You know, he competes enough and he's big enough too. Like he's built kind of like, he's 6'8, 220. People have sort of said he's built like Joe Johnson in terms of his frame. And it's like, you know, I could see Luca, you know, being eventually being tough enough and able to kind of slide down. So he might not have to guard point guards and it may not be as big of a problem as some people would think. Well, and frankly, if you institute the Houston Golden State defense, it doesn't matter what position you start guarding. Right. Uh, which really might matter to some extent here. Like, I mean, if everyone's mm-hmm. switching everything and he's not great on point guards and you decide that if he's your guy, you're philosophically going to play a switching defense, then he's not going to end up on point guards that often. Right. 
Yeah, and I think he'll end up, you know, hiding on whatever wing player, at least to start, whichever wing player is less lesser of the the threats on the court. But yeah, you know, it's uh, it, that's one tricky thing with all players now is the lineup calculus is so different in terms of teams going small, teams going big. That uh, you know, you always gotta have options, and that's one thing too is defensive versatility in players. Uh, I think that there's more of a premium on you know bigs who can switch, uh, wings who can slide up or down. Um, that's another factor. We're talking about trends that, that's, uh, that's tangible. If I remember correctly, you published your last mock draft about 10 days ago. You had him going two to Sacramento. Uh, I saw somebody else's mock the other day. They had him as low as five. Uh, do you think there's any chance Lucas slips? And then if he does slip, do you think the idea that he might not come over plays in? Or if he just ends up in Memphis and decides he doesn't <laughs> like Gus's fried chicken and doesn't want to live in Memphis? <laughs> well, I think the lowest he can fall, I think, is four. Like, I would see – I think I don't think Memphis would pass on him if he gets there. Uh, you know, there's some talk that Sacramento, you know, may not be enamored with him, may want to, you know, take a big, like a Marvin Bagley at two. And I can see that happening for sure. Uh, you know, I haven't heard anything specifically on the situation to where I, I've made a change for that yet. But, you know, I can see it happening. Uh, and it's, it, it's all about what teams value. I don't think – I think there's some perception that, you know, Doncic is head and shoulders above people who really like him, like think he's head and shoulders above the rest of the draft. But I don't think NBA teams see it that way. You know, it's uh it's definitely a matter of opinion. And I don't see him falling past four. I could see Sacramento taking him at two, you know, knowing Vlade Divac. I mean, it, this is a great European prospect. I mean, it would be to me a little bit of a surprise to see him pass, uh, just from that standpoint, knowing their history. But again, you never know who's really making the pick. Um, so, you know, I can see a few different scenarios there for sure. Uh, but I do expect him to be in this draft. And, you know, I've said this before, but their season is still going in Spain. And we wouldn't ask a college player in the U.S. in January, hey, are you turning pro? Like, they're not going to tell you that. So, you know, I think he'll end up in the draft. If we – one of my kind of draft rules on guys is when you – when your only comp is either an all-star or a truly unique talent, and I don't have a secondary comp. I get very nervous. So an example I, for those who don't understand what I'm saying is like Kendall Marshall came out of North Carolina and everyone said he's the next Andre Miller. And I was like, okay, well, we've never had an Andre Miller before. So if you find me, if he's not Andre Miller, then who is he? And that means you're out of the league. And that's what happened with Kendall Marshall. Byron Houston, Clarence Weatherspoon, and that whole generation, everyone's the next Barkley. Okay, well, he's an all-star Hall of Famer, if he's not the next Barkley, who are you? And then they became, you know, run-of-the-mill, decent, okay players. If Trey Young is not Steph Curry, who is he? Yeah, Trey Trey's an interesting case. And I, I think it's pretty clear, you know, what he can and can't do. Um, and I think that based on what he's been able, you know, the, the stretch that he did have at Oklahoma, to me, is impressive enough that you got to think about taking him I think I'd probably, the highest I is, is like eight, maybe seven. Um, I don't think I'd put him in that top, top crop of guys, but you know, that shouldn't really matter for him. For him, it's going to be about finding the right landing spot. And when we talk about fit, I mean, this is a player who really needs the right fit uh, to succeed. You know, he's not going to be Steph Curry, but he can really score. Uh, and yeah, I guess the converse is, you know, we've seen a lot of high scoring college guards, uh, you know, not really be able to do the same things. Not everything translates. Uh, in the NBA, like, for example, like a Shabazz Napier, who, you know, is a fine, competent NBA player, but isn't a star like he was at, at UConn. Um, but, you know, again, for every one of those guys, you could say there's a good case or a bad case. 
Um, so it's really just going to depend. I think if you put him in a situation where he's not going to have to be the only scorer, like in Oklahoma, you saw him in the middle of the season in the conference play, teams keyed on him, they doubled him, they threw the book at him. And in the NBA, I don't think that'll be the case. Um, uh, you know, teams will try that stuff if he ends up being very good. But as long as there's talent around him to sort of allow him to sort of give it up and come get it back and not have to shoulder the whole load, I think he'll be capable. Um, so I think he has a chance to become a starting caliber guard. I don't know if he's a superstar. Uh, he doesn't have to be. You know, you're not necessarily drafting him to be that. Uh, and if you are drafting him to be that, it's a risk. Two high-scoring guards were Eddie House and Jimmer Fredette. Um, by the way, one unknown thing Jeremy just alluded to, I don't think it's talked about a lot, but high-usage college players are actually not usually very, very, very high-usage college players are very rarely successful in the NBA, um, even if they're first-round picks. Steph Curry is kind of the exception to that. Morris Allman was a guy that came in the league, high-usage, never planned, panned out. Um, Jimmer didn't pan out. Eddie House was okay, but not maybe where people thought he was going to be at times. So those are two guys. The comparable thing on Eddie House and Jimmer Fredette is they actually didn't score in the pick and roll. They didn't score in an NBA fashion. Did Trey Young score in an NBA fashion? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think you've seen him you know, make good reads out of the high pick and roll. And that was something that I know that he wanted to show that he could do is really pass it. Because I think out of high school, he was pegged more as a scorer, a volume guy. You know, some people didn't run as high on him. Uh, you know, I'd seen him play a couple times in high school. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the volume thing often it just stems from, you know, college coaches want to win. They're going to put guys in optimal situations to win. You funnel a lot of offense, maybe unnaturally on some level through guys. But I don't necessarily see it as negative. I think it's positive that he's had that experience. And it should be viewed as positive that he's not going to have to do that in the NBA. But I think with that, you know, obviously – it's good to temper expectations a little bit in order just to be fair to the player. Who concerns Jeremy? What players does he believe he likes more than others? What are the, who's the Malcolm Brogdon four-year guy that's just solid? We'll hit on all those things. Coming up, Jeremy Wu, Sports Illustrated's NBA draft star. There's a void a little bit in the NBA draft world this year, guys. Add Jeremy Wu to your list and start reading his stuff. He's absolutely fabulous over at SI.com. All right, so... People bust, right? Like, that's a guarantee, frankly. Two out of the first ten and usually ten out of the next twenty. Who are the guys that you have your highest concern? Let's start in the top ten uh, of one or two guys that you are like, ah, they make me really nervous. Well, we talked about Michael Porter, and that's one that's one that, you know, scares me a little bit. Um, just in terms of, like, like I said, with the back and with the – you know, well-roundedness concerns. And I don't, I don't think I need to dive too much more into that, but, you know, Porter is one of them. Uh, one guy who let I'm me, not... Let me interrupt there for a second. Other Wait, people. Jeremy, let me interrupt mm-hmm. there for a second, because I think there's something interesting. Yeah. You alluded to this earlier. Without the back injury, you might have still been concerned. Is that the way I hear that? Right, right. And, mm-hmm, yeah, you know, just based on that, and I think there's some some truth to, you know, there's whispers about, you know, how good of a teammate was he at Missouri? You know, what is the the background, you know, turning up on him as a person. And, you know, I, 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 I'm always hesitant to judge kids based off what comes out. Cause usually when that stuff comes out, it comes out for a reason. Right. But, um, you know, you have to take that new account and teams are going to factor that in. It's, you know, what type of person are you, what type of, you know, guy do we want to build around? And you know, that's one thing that I think from the outside looking in, it's hard to really properly quantify, you know, how much that means to teams. And that's something I've learned just through covering the draft more and more is just that intel aspect of it is, is key. And so, you know, I don't see Porter still being out of the top 10. You know, he's very talented and 
you know, I'd take a fly on him for sure. But I think that's something that may end up hurting him if it's like push, push comes to shove with some of these other top players. As you, what I love about your work clearly is you're watching guys on your own more than just, uh, you know, following the herd. Who do you watch that you're like, I'm not, I'm not seeing what everybody else is seeing. Who, who's out there that's got you? We'll do the positive. In a second. We're going to end positively. I like to end positively, but on the <laughs> who, who do you watch? You're like, wow, why? Like, if I was doing my own board, I probably have him at fifty, not twenty. Like, who who's out there for you? Yeah, I mean, not on such a harsh harsh range like that, but I, I think one guy, one of the top guys who over the course of the year I was a little bit less enamored with than a lot of people was Colin Sexton from Alabama, who I think is a good player. Uh, but I, I also wonder. I was at the game where Alabama played three on five for the last uh, however many minutes in, in Brooklyn. I was there, um, and I think if that game never happens, I wonder what the, the overall hype level would be with him. Um, you know, I had him as lottery pick, but sort of towards the back of the lottery. Um, and I just with with him, you know, there's just such a narrative about oh he's so competitive and he brings it every single night and that's this and that and you know the way that media coverage works you know naturally it's like we get hyperbolic about stuff and sometimes that's the best way to explain an idea is to you know take it to an extreme right but Jackson I think you know is uh, definitely a talented guy and you know he has a legitimate reputation for being a hard worker off the court but like every single game you know I watched a lot of Alabama games and I didn't see like the every night fire that I think I was expecting based on what the hype was um, you know I I would like to and obviously when guys carry a big offensive load like him, you know, it's hard to expect them to be grade A defenders every single night. But, you know, I, I saw him sort of check out at times. I thought um, sometimes, you know, it seemed like he wasn't always there. And then you notice him for the last maybe two minutes of a half, like clapping in a guy's face and like, you know, doing something showy like that on defense. But, um, you know, I, I don't know if I see it. I think he can be, you know, I think he'll be a fine NBA player. But I, I don't see like that degree of, of the hype with him. Like, I think he can end up being like a Reggie Jackson who, you know, is a good NBA player, but maybe isn't the guy who is, you know, going to lead your team to the playoffs. Um, he might end up being a very good guy, third guard off the bench who can really score. But I just, I guess I have a little bit of skepticism in terms of that just because he's a little bit small, isn't a great three point shooter. I wonder how many fouls will be able to draw at the next level, you know, different things like that. I think all concern me. And, you know, I have a little bit of a box, like, being from Chicago, you know, where the reputation is, you know, the guys really play defense and, you know, being a lot of high school games there and seeing guys who really do play defense every single game, you know, so I think my, my bar just personally is a little bit higher and that's just a bias that I have as well for what that's worth to be fair to section. The, uh, I, I try not to swear on our podcast. I don't know why, just because I think there's no, <laughs> there's no need really is my theory on it. Um, but I, one of my favorite coaches I was ever around, when he, he looked at me and he always, I don't know if you know Gordy Chiesa, he was a long-time jazz coach and he's been around the league forever and he has this great kind of pace to his voice pattern. And he used to say, David, when you look at these guys, make sure someone makes you say, if you're the opponent, ah, shit. Like, who's got the skill out there that when you have to go up against them, you're saying that? Like, that's his point. Like, if a guy's just a knockdown shooter and you know you're going to have to guard him, you're like, ah, beep, right? So who's the guy out there? Who? Are, what are the skills when you look at this draft that guys have where you're like, ah, beep? Because they got this skill. That's, <laughs> and it's just a single individual, right? Like, it could be a first step or a great stroke. Like, who are the guys with that skill that when other teams are preparing for them in their career, they're going to say, oh, beep? 
One guy that really comes to mind for me uh, is Javon Carter from West Virginia, who, you know, is a guy from the Chicago area who I saw a lot in high school. And he's got a great story, man, because I remember, you know, when he was a high school senior, you know, a lot of people who were at his games watching college coaches, I mean, people didn't think he was good enough to play in the Big Ten. And West Virginia identified him. The story goes they saw him uh, playing defense on, like, the far court at an AU tournament, and uh, an assistant saw him, and then Huggins offered him, like, a week later or whatever. But regardless, I mean, you saw it at the Combine. I mean, the third play at the Combine, Javon is, like, picking up Tony Carr full court. And, you know, to me, I, I was expecting it, but it was still, like, yeah, I think the Combine is always a good place to, like, reaffirm with teams what you're good at. And I think Javon has certainly done that. Like, I think – I don't know if he'll be a first-round pick, but just his – aggression, his ability to make people uncomfortable, you know, as an on-ball defender, in spite of being only, you know, 6'1". I mean, you know, that's, to me, that's a special, a special skill. And I think, I think it gives him, you know, a degree of safety. It's like a, you know, a guy who you can throw in the backcourt and you know, you'll get something out of. And you know, people have sort of compared him to Patrick Beverly a little bit. And I don't think it's off base. Um, you know, that's a kind of type of role he can fill. So he, that's a guy who I would personally not want to play against. And I think you saw it at the combine uh, you know, guys did not, guys were not happy and nobody looked good when he was guarding them. Uh, so that's someone who I think has helped himself in that way. Anybody of the top players who have the marquee individual skills? So last Yeah, I think Mo Bamba as a, Mo Bamba as a shot blocker would be, would be one. Um, you know, he, people have talked a lot about, you know, the seven ten wings fan, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of says it all. I mean, he, I think he would have the longest, I'm pretty sure based on what people are saying and what I've read he'll have the longest wingspan in the NBA from day one. And that's, that's something, right? So, you know, him as a guy who can block shots, I think that's a bankable um, in terms of, like, individual skills. And he could be really, really, you know, it's not hyperbolic to say he could be, you know, one of the better or best defensive centers in the league. Jeremy, we appreciate the time. I hope we can chat again. Thanks for the early NBA draft look. It's not that early. It just feels it because the NBA finals will take <laughs> Three weeks. Yeah, it's like three weeks. So, Jeremy, great work at SI.com. I really, people, SI.com, Mahoney, Golliver, like Lee Jenkins wrote an article <laughs> today. The world stops for 30 minutes so you can just read Lee because you can't go without it. And Jeremy's doing equally great work. Thanks so much for the time, Jeremy. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Anytime. If you get a chance, please thank Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Wu for joining us on the show today. Stay tuned for more details on our NBA draft coverage. We should have a very exciting announcement coming for you to give you all the best Lockdown Podcast Network NBA draft coverage. Our guys are doing amazing work all across the network, breaking down talent. We're going to have something for you on that. And stay tuned for our mock draft as well. It's Locked On Podcast Network. Make sure you subscribe to your local team's daily NBA podcast.